Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to the Agile World Podcast, where we discuss customer experience, employee experience, and transformation in an agile age. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Center of Experience, a blueprint for creating an experience-led organization, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about Agile in the public sector, and more specifically, the federal government. While government is often described as anything but Agile, there are plenty of people working with Agile methodology, as well as a more scalable and iterative mindset in all sectors, both private and public. In fact, government agencies are increasingly turning to Agile methods for all kinds of solutions, from software development and more. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Dave Whitkin, Principal at Packaged Agile. First, uh, Dave, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you do at Packaged Agile? Absolutely, Greg, and and thanks for having me on the show. Um, So as a company, Packaged Agile, we focus on making effective Agile adoption happen. And as far as I know, we're the only ones exclusively focused on building agility within the federal government um, and, uh, and not looking as much at the, the commercial and private sectors. So a key part of my role is really to find the people in government who are willing to commit to what we often call agile done right. Um, and what I mean is there's a lot of bad agile out there. Some people call it fake agile. Uh, you may have heard the Department of Defense actually came in with a paper and called it Agile BS. Uh, huh. So, uh, yeah, kind of nice, actually, that the very upfront about that. So most people say they want to become more agile. They want their projects to become more agile. But they don't you know what that means. So they want the benefits of agility. They don't understand that it means everyone, including the leaders, have to work differently, though. So if they don't understand what to do, I can't always help them change. So a big part of my role is evaluating those potential clients and make sure there's a fit. Um, There's plenty of consultants out there, coaches are willing to take the government's money and provide, you know, to me, relatively little value if the uh, if the department, if the leaders aren't really ready to change. But I don't want to be one of those people. Well, let's uh, let's explore a little bit of that and the that fit aspect as well. So, start by talking about your background with agile methodology and processes. And so, you know, how did you get started, and why was why did you find agile to be the right fit um, to to be working in? So, yeah, I started in consulting almost thirty years ago now. A little bit scary. Uh-huh. Of course, everything back then was waterfall. There was no concept of agility, and over time, I started working primarily on large projects, meaning 50 people to, in in some cases, up to 500 people. And over time, I realized that almost without fail, they were problematic. They were slow. It took us literally years to deliver anything of value. Almost everything we delivered was late, and it never seemed to work the way it was expected to work. So at the time, I didn't know this, but later I've come to find out that this was an industry-wide issue. The larger the project, the worse the performance overall. And now, of course, we've got uh, industry statistics from uh, McKinsey Group, uh, University of Oxford, Standish, that show that this is uh, 
industry-wide and that for the really big projects, my focus, somewhere around one-third of all of them fail. And by fail, I don't mean they just deliver less than expected, they're late. What I mean is sometimes we've spent tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars. I'll give you a couple examples of those later. And at the end of it, literally no working software was put into production. So that's pretty crazy, right? And this is, it's one thing when it's a a private sector client, right? A, A Google or an Amazon, they do those things and shareholders lose value. It's something completely different when it happens in the federal government. And it means less money for veterans, less money for healthcare, all kinds of those issues that we wish we had more money to help the government solve. So, yeah, so anyway, you know, I knew there had to be a better way. And somewhere back in about 2004, I came across a paper by a guy by the name of Ken Schwaber. And some of your listeners will probably know who he is. He's one of the co-creators of Scrum, uh, which is the most popular agile methodology in the world. And immediately, I saw that Scrum would be a revolutionary change for how we manage projects in general, especially large projects. So since then, I've gone through a mature maturation process with Scrum, learning how to do it right. And uh, at this point, I probably had the opportunity to stand up somewhere around 100 teams. And uh, eventually, through that process, I, you know, I got to work with Dr. Jeff Sutherland. Uh, he co-created Scrum, and he actually certified me to teach. So uh, that was a career highlight. And that's kind of where I am in my journey, just trying to to continue helping the government with what I've learned, stand up the teams that actually work effectively. Well, after all that, you know, the one question is, when is Agile not the right solution? You know, so obviously there's there's a lot of room to grow and room to adopt it. But, you know, when when whether it's a federal agency or, or a private company or whatever, um, you know, when, when is it not the right approach? Yeah, I hear a lot of... People ask that, and, and my answer is pretty straightforward in general. It's If humans are involved, Agile is probably a much better approach than the traditional waterfall approach. And the reason is agility, it's not just a one-size-fits-all thing, right? It's a continuum, but the values and principles were essentially put there and built to attack the types of problems we humans run into all the time, meaning we make mistakes. We don't do everything right the first time. We think everything is important. We try to work on multiple things at once and think we're actually good at multitasking when the the research shows we're absolutely horrible at it. Uh, We work in hierarchies that are very slow to make decisions and resolve problems. And we let work fill the time available. So all those things collectively are exactly what agility and screen attacks so when people ask, you know, or say, no, Agile's not a good fit for this, or it's not a good fit for that, you know, I try to go back to those values and principles and the humanity of it, which should be obvious to people, but we lose sight of it. We, we start thinking about agility as a one-size-fits-all thing, and it's not. If we go back to the values and principles, they can pretty much apply to anything that you'd like to solve. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you there. I mean, and I think that's what that's what I try to do on this show even is just look at, you could say it's it's agile in the broadest definition of, you know, that we look at things, we test, we, we iterate, we optimize, and it's not necessarily being 
dogmatic to one particular, we have to do things this exact way every single time, no matter what the application is. But it is more, it's a, it's a philosophy of, of just continual improvements and, and, and stuff like that. So I, I totally agree. I think, you know, those, those that are saying that it, it, doesn't apply or it only applies in certain instances, I think are, are taking a very narrow view of, of agility. So definitely, definitely agree with you there. Yeah, completely agree, Greg. I'll say too, you know, one of the things that's great about it is, and we focused on the fact that we're human is it really is a framework that respects individuals and teams. And it gets us away from those hierarchies that, you know, a lot of places have, have suggested now based on research, they're so slow uh, and they disempower people that uh, people don't want to work in those kinds of scenarios. So hopefully, you know, one of my beliefs, I've seen it happen a number of times, is it makes a lot of people happier. Uh, and that gets me excited, seeing people happen to be part of a team and getting things done. Well, let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about government in, in particular and, you know, I would say government isn't the first word that you often think of when you think of agile. Um, in I fact, can't some, imagine why. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's, um, you know, and some would even say it's uh, government agility is an oxymoron. You know, how do you, how do you respond to that? Yeah. Well, uh, first I do think there's some truth to that, right? Government certainly is not known as something that is nimble, that works effectively, that takes care of people. You know, there's some things, and we'll talk about these, I think, some of the things that we have in the private sector that force us to be more agile, we don't necessarily have in government. So things like competition, right? There's no competition for the Department of Defense other than other countries, but at least within the country, it's we, we got one. You know, right. you know, the uh, Department of Agriculture, Department of Labor, all those kinds of things. So it is a little bit different. Um, and it is in some ways more of a challenge. But I will say that's starting to change. So, you know, the government may be slow to adopt, but now the evidence is so overwhelming that agility works. You know, you've even got folks like uh, PMI, the Project Management Institute, basically saying, hey, Agile works better than traditional waterfall programs from, a, you know, uh, uh, in general. Uh, so, you know, I think those types of swaps have, have gotten to people in government and they're now starting to get more interested. I'll give you a for example. Um, the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services Office, or USCIS, they actually spent about 10 years now, so roughly, they started their journey into agility, and they were like many government agencies, very big, very slow. They looked at a few programs. Um, they looked at how can we you know, become more agile, and it's taken a long time, right? Over the years, though, over the last seven to ten years, they've gotten to a point where their teams are agile, and now for many of the programs, they can actually release software weekly. And a lot of us would say weekly. It's really slow. Amazon releases software every few seconds. But, you know, when you think about the level of improvement where most government programs will struggle to release anything of value, even quarterly, uh, then weekly is a humongous shift. Uh, and they've got some, you know, true DevOps pipelines uh, working there. So it is starting to be embraced. People see the value. It is a little bit slow, slower moving, though, than more than a little than in the private sector. 
So what are, besides some of, uh, you know, maybe the speed, what are some of the other differences to implementing Agile in, in government versus uh, private sector? Yeah, it's a great question, Greg. I'll say this is an area of some contention with my, my colleagues. Some of us who've been focused on government for a long time say, look, there's absolutely nothing different. You could look at any company, right? Maybe you take an old stalwart like Exxon uh, or 3M, something that's been around a long time. And there's probably elements of what's happening there that are true in government. My belief is there's enough sort of special situations where it's not completely different, but that we can treat those special situations a little bit differently and do a much better job of recognizing, you know, how to implement agility most effectively. So we've actually come up with somewhere around 10 areas where government is nuanced enough that, you know, we want to take extra time in handling those situations. And the number one issue is government procurement. Sometimes you're called acquisitions or government contracting. For your listeners who aren't there, the government put a ton of rules and regulations in place to try to make sure that the government procurement process is very fair. We've got these federal acquisition regulations, the BOD has something similar, and we've got all these contract officers who are trained, government program managers who are trained in using these rules, and almost all of them understand waterfall. We've been doing waterfall development for the last 34 years. Yeah. We haven't done a really good job of training them to understand that Agile is different. So what happens is they put up these big pieces of paper, right, already neat, super agile. And it's like, give me a proposal. Uh, we're going to talk to you while you do it. But, um, you know, we want you to tell us how you're going to solve these government requirements and then give us price. And then if we like it, we'll, we may speak with you about it. At some point. Yeah. So they're not trained. And we get into what I often call the pixie dust approach to agile procurement which is they take something they did for Waterfall and they just sprinkle the words Agile, Scrum, Safe in there. And it might still say we've got 200 mandated requirements. It might say um, we're going to evaluate you just on a paper response. Um, we're going to have a separate testing team. Uh, you need change requests if you want to deprioritize the scope. We need sign-offs by these 10 people. It's, it's things that they don't realize uh, that everything they're saying is completely contrary to what agility is all about. Yeah. And so, you know, this is one of those cases where we really need to spend time uh, training those folks, the contracting officers, their program managers. Here's what agility really means. And again, going back right, to those values and principles we talked about, if they understood that, it would be very easy to say, well, well hold on a minute. If, if I'm thinking about Agile values and principles, why would I ever put out a big document with hundreds of requirements and ask people to tell me how they're going to meet those requirements at the start of a project? And some of these projects, right, in, in Waterfall, they're, they're two to five, even eight years. So we know, you know, good agility doesn't do that. They don't have that basis so that they can identify the places where they really just need to change these acquisitions. And once you've started off on a bad foot, right, you've put out an acquisition uh, that doesn't work for agility. Maybe you've got one acquisition for people doing requirements. You have another 
team for somebody doing design, yet another for independent testing. Um, somebody else is going to do DevOps and deployment. So you've already set yourself up for to make to make agility almost impossible. So we yeah. really have to go back and help these folks understand that agility means working differently. And you know, we, we, acquisitions is a great way to start that. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, I have. I don't have a lot of experience, but I have a little experience in, you know, the government RFP process, but uh, what you're I'm saying sorry. there, it's, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> me too, trust me. Um, but that's, so what you're saying there is, is interesting, but it's touching on, to me, that seems like a big challenge to essentially, uh, you're basically teaching or needing to teach the entire procurement process and RFP. Like, is there a, at least in my mind, I, I see that as completely changing the way that RFPs are procured and all that. But do you see a middle ground there that we you could still do agile procurement, but with, I guess, yeah, do, do you, where, where does that start? Because it seems like a full kind of redo of the system almost. Yeah, if it sounds huge, I would completely agree with you. Um, I think it probably is huge. It's a big mindset shift. I'll say this, though. The government has taken some of the right steps. So they've already recognized it's a huge issue. So after healthcare.gov in, in what, 2012 or 13, um, they stood up some organizations within the government designed to help address these issues. So that was, what, seven, eight years ago now. Yeah. One is called U.S. Digital Services. And uh, another is called ATNAP. Um, there's, there's similar things in the Department of Defense as well. Uh, let's see, who is it? Homeland Security has a procurement innovation lab. I believe HHS has something similar. So they've at least recognized the issue and are taking baby steps to resolve it. One of the things that they did I thought was fantastic. Uh, there are some folks in the government who are part of these organizations like Digital Services and ATNAP, and they actually sat down and wrote a training curriculum, uh, and they have put it out to the private industry and say, look, we'd like you to propose for us. Uh, we want to qualify you as trainers for, it's called DITAP. Jeez, oh, don't need to stand for right. But um, they've got basically a training curriculum for these contracting officers to help them learn how to be better agile stewards. And while they're building this capability, they've also put out there that here's a list of people you can contact. So if you're a contracting officer, let's say at GSA, uh, General Services Administration, and you know you've, you've never done agile procurements before, you can either reach out to somebody at Digital Services, US Digital Services, you can reach out to the 18F organization, or you could look at these DITAP trained individuals, a list of those, and say, look, I'd just like to pick your brain, you over at, uh, let's say, Department uh, of Agriculture, because you're on this list of people who've gone through this training. So they're at least doing some of the right things to build the momentum and get folks trained. But I'm not sure there is a real shortcut here. It's just going to take you know, a lot of turnover, a lot of investment in the training. Uh, and frankly, we in the private sector need to be better at advising the government, hey, you sent us a procurement and you say you want us to be agile 
And I've seen some of these, but they just, they, they included a list of 500 requirements. <laughs> we've got to be brave enough, right? We always want to please. But we've got to be brave enough to come back and say, hey, you know, we know you mean well, but when you give me 500 requirements and say I have to meet all of them, there's no way I can do that in an agile fashion. That's not what agility means. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that. That's great. I mean, that's. I'm. It's. It's hard. I knew about a U.S. Digital Service, but not so much their involvement and, and things like that. But it's it's actually really good to know that there are other other you know departments or sub departments or whatever within the the government that are focused on this as well. Because I do. It's definitely needed, but it's it's going to take a lot of, of people to. Uh, to help solve that problem, so or the you know to to basically get things to the next the next stage, I guess so to speak. So that's that's good to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. So I guess um. I know you share you've shared a, a few examples, but you know, is there an, is there another story? You know, just a, a success story that you could share, maybe just a brief one that that kind of that highlights uh, even a small victory of of agile and government. Yeah, well, I got a huge one actually, um, yeah. and it deals with you know some of what happened on nine eleven. So this is what we know with government: the stakes are super high. Uh, so after nine eleven, one of the things that happened is people realized we've got all this intelligence, but we're not really good at sharing it across agencies in the government. Right? We, we don't act like one government necessarily. So the FBI uh, took the lead on a project that eventually ended up being called uh, Sentinel. It's called like a single case file or something for a while. But uh, let's just call it Sentinel for simplicity. And I think they started maybe in 2002. Um, The first effort, they spent, I don't know, $300, $350 million over, uh, I think it was three, four years. And at the end of it, they delivered nothing. They just decided it was too expensive. I think they did some estimates. It was going to cost them another $300 million. They stopped the project. They did lessons learned. And, uh, of course, you bring in a new vendor, right? So they still needed the, the work. They rebid it, put out those huge RP papers. And, but now they got all these lessons learned, right? They're going to do better. No question about it. Second effort. Different vendor. Same result. Oh, wow. Yeah, 300 people. Um, at the end of it, I think the estimates range, but somewhere around $520 million spent over seven years. And, and again, this is mission critical. Like we're trying to stop 9-11 type attacks. So it's not like the, the stakes are high enough that this isn't important and people say, look, this doesn't matter, right? This is a small thing. No, this is huge. Everybody knows it's huge. Twice it failed. And I'd like to tell you that this is the exception. Only I can tell you from several of the projects I've been part of, the same thing has happened with hundreds of millions of dollars lost. But the, and I'm telling this as a success story because what happened is they got some people from private industry and they decided they were going to use Scrum uh, to help fix this. So they took 300 people and they scaled it down, which is something that not enough people talk about for these big programs. Uh, again, that one of the things we've learned is the bigger the program, the greater the chances of failure. So they scaled it down quite a bit, not as small as you might like, but 55 people, right? So they cut the team by one six. It's still, I think it still took them a couple of years, but at the end of that, they actually released some working software and production. 
And they continued, you know, just like we do with agility, they continued to build on those successes over time. So I think it's a huge one because the, the um, huge win, you know, it shows because, again, you can see we're, we're trying to prevent thousands of people from dying. It's really important. And you can see the contrast between how the government typically approaches these projects in waterfall and these big procurements, what happens, and then you, uh, you change you know, some of the people involved, you choose a much better approach in Scrum and you get a much better result. Well, uh, one last question before we wrap up. Um, for those either in government or possibly even in a, in a non-government organization that might be anything but agile, uh, what advice would you have for them to get started and teach themselves uh, to kind of what you were saying earlier, you know, get started and, and teach themselves and their colleagues about how to adopt agile practices? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, as some of my colleagues relay to me frequently, every industry shares at least some uh, things that, uh, you know, need special focus, just like in government. So it may not be the procurement rules, but maybe it's something that they're just very old, very slow. So um, I'll give you one example uh, about customers. It's, It's common for us in you know uh, private sector organizations companies we know who our customers are and we know if we don't cater to them somebody else will um this is challenging in government it sounds kind of crazy but i know a guy uh sat down with a guy uh, senior leader in the navy and one of the things that he told me is the first thing he asks when they stand up some new programs is who's the customer we're serving here and he's shocked at how often people don't know now, it is a little bit different in government, but I think you've probably got some utilities. You've got some older companies that have been so used to dominating their space that they think they're untouchable. You might think about Kodak or uh, even Enron, things like that, that, you know, Arthur Anderson, that they thought they were untouchable and then something happened and they figured it out. So I think that's still a critical thing, that we need to prioritize our customers and think about threats that the customers will see as catastrophic. So fraud is one of those threats. Uh, with Arthur Anderson, it was doing something that you know eroded trust. These are the types of things we have to look at in government that they're not used to looking at. And I think that also applies, especially some big private sector organizations that maybe lose sight of how important the little things that they do are and how the customers view those things. Dave, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, for those listening, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing? Uh, they can uh, follow me. I think you probably pub- published the, uh, my LinkedIn profile. Yeah. They can follow me there or uh, reach out to uh, packagedagile.com. Wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank Dave Whitkin from Packaged Agile for joining the show. To learn more about both customer and employee experience, I recommend you go to my website at gregkilstrom.com and make sure to check out my latest book, The Center of Experience. More information is available on my website or wherever the book is available, like Amazon. Thanks for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World Podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Center of Experience, from my website at theagile.world or on Amazon or other retailers. Until next week, stay agile.